0: Hello. Hello. How are you, bud? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Say, so, it's, it's been an interesting. Uh, I spoke. Yes, it has. Tell me, yeah. tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, um, let's see. Right, uh, I started reading, and I'm now halfway through a book by Aldous Huxley. Nice. Um The Doors of Perception and Heaven and Hell. It's two different essays. Oh. Very cool stuff. Um I disagree with him in The Doors of Perception, but <laughs> I like hell. <laughs> <laughs> Is it so their essays are they kinda of like nonfictional but like speculative, essentially? Uh well, no, they're um primarily non fictional accounts and observations of his. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, just, uh, uh, the Doors Perception, which is sort of a famous essay by him, is basically his view on psychedelic substances, and their use in sort of a philosophical worldview. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and... Does he condone them, or? Oh, yeah. He's a huge supporter of them. He was known as basically the most, the world's foremost transcendentalist in a lot of ways. I find that interesting with artists, though, because I think there's kind of a big split and not as much middle ground where, like, you either use drugs for your creativity or you don't. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, the thing is, he doesn't claim to use his drugs for creativity or anything to that effect. Oh. What he generally states is that, um, well, he begins it by um, talking about an account of him taking mescaline um, okay which is um the drug used by a lot of uh, Native Americans in the American Southwest and nice uh, Texas, that sort of thing um, and fundamentally um the effects of it are basically I think I've mentioned this in another episode. I've mentioned peyote mm-hmm. um, and this is the either the synthetic variety of it or um, an extract of it mm-hmm. And fundamentally, the idea is it well he describes it oh effect- hold on one second, Nick hello you about? yeah i'm on a I'm on my podcast cool. all right, sorry about that continue <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and uh, um fundamentally, he describes the effects of mescaline after he's taken it as uh, um like things just brightening up becoming more vivid all things sort of combining together into a, a large flow into mm-hmm. things which he relates to uh, eastern philosophy's idea of um ideas associated with mind body and dharma dharma body mm-hmm. fundamentally all things connected as one and whatnot um and it, it's a fascinating look into uh, psychedelics as um a way of philosophically understanding the world. Mm-hmm. What do you disagree with in his essays? Uh well in uh The Doors of Perception, uh what I primarily disagree with is um the fact that he he very much so conveys the idea of um of psychedelics as an observational thing, as something which grants a person the capability to see greater portions and dimensions to reality as he likes to describe them. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, he is already presupposing a meaning that, um, those, um, that, uh, those drugs would ascribe to him. Oh, exactly. with, um, of course he makes the connection to Eastern philosophy, Dharma body and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he already has that philosophy inherited. He has that idea, mm-hmm. that fundamental perspective on things. Um, and he also remarks on, um, in the book, he says, uh, um, he ended up going through sort of this, this artist's catalog, um, where it's like these, uh, just paintings and self portraits, things like that. Mm-hmm. While on Mescaline, um, and he ends up seeing very much so this this dishonesty to the human ego and human conditions, mm-hmm. um, sort of the way in which the human mind is shaped by its surroundings, the extent to which it views itself as something separate from nature, mm-hmm. um, and sort of feels as if it needs to conform to certain values and certain ideas. But alternatively, he follows a very similar thing with Eastern philosophy and the connections he makes with his experience on Mescaline. So my disagreement fundamentally lies in that he's he's very much so taking the perceptions he's had with Mescaline and fitting them into his already existing worldview instead of letting them exist independent of that. Oh, so it's it's kind of a subjective analysis of it? It is a very subjective analysis of it. Okay. Um, But don't you think, I mean, most people are kind of subject to that. That seems like, to me, like a pretty inescapable thing. It's a very difficult thing to escape. I mean, uh, think about um, what happened with the Native Americans who who discovered peyote as a psychedelic substance. Mm -hmm. They very much so fit it into their folklore, their traditional ideas, all of that. Mm Mm-hmm. A person needs a framework for understanding these things, a way of, of grasping them fundamentally. Yeah, But I think uh, uh, Aldous Huxley doesn't really try to levy the same criticism he does of humanity in sort of the context of that art or of its own ego mm-hmm. against the philosophies by which he's sort of taking a look at. Oh. Yeah. That makes so, sense. Yeah. And I think that there is something profoundly revelatory about psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is, a, as you're well aware, I love Eastern philosophy. I am mm-hmm. a at heart. Um, but still, I think it's it, it's worth taking it all with a very strong grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's what I've been occupying my mind with. Um, nice it's actually inspired me to to start writing down my own ideas in in something like an essay. So, nice. Do you, do you know what you're going to call it yet? Uh, anatomy of a perceiving being. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'm imagining like some diagram of the brain that like kind of quantifies what is real and what is not. <laughs> um it, <laughs> that that would entirely go against what um what my 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 Renzi <laughs> influences have taught me <laughs> so. Yeah. If I do that, if I do that, no, I'm being very dishonest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I've been working on lately. That and some poetry. I did D D yesterday with some friends. So nice. Overall, normal stuff for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you- I've been trying to uh, cook a bit more than I usually do. Um, cause cookies, not my strong suit, but there's something so satisfying in it that I don't usually find in other things. Um, so last night I helped my mom make, uh, we had this cool, like Mediterranean falafel meal. Um, and so I helped her make all the, like the, we put like cucumber and tomato, um, into like a mixture of, um, like plain greek yogurt and sour cream um so that was really good and then i also made crepes the other morning on my own um and it took way longer than it should have but um yeah so i'm trying to expand my horizons a little bit more in that way because it's satisfying to me i don't think i have like the natural talent or inclination that other people do with like cooking or baking or whatever but um i look i still think it's fun yeah yeah, I've, I've given cooking a, a try once or now I I can't get it. Um, <laughs> which, which is something I'm very annoyed at because yeah. I, I am a human being and as such I love food. <laughs> well, it's funny too because there's really two sides to the cooking coin. You can treat it as a science experiment where you go very exact with the measurements and the, the way in which you make food. Or you can go the way that most professional cooks go, um, and they rely mostly on their intuition and, like, their basic human senses, which I definitely don't have that. Um, Like, my parents will just, like, be cooking, and I'll be like, how do you know how much, you know, like, salt and pepper? Or how do you know how much paprika to put into that, you know, stew or whatever? And they'll be like, I don't know. I just kind of guess. I'm like, how could you – my brain does not begin to wrap around that. (laughs) That would be, like, yeah. mind-blowing to me. But they're yeah. like, yeah, and then we just taste it later. If it doesn't taste good, it doesn't taste good. If it does, it does. I'm like, yeah. all right. I I can't relate to that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cooking is... It, it, a lot of it deals with flow, I think. So yeah, yeah. It's just sort of like, do this, then that, then this. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll put it all together and make it feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I seriously it's it's like my mind exists exclusively on the top floor mm-hmm. it's it, it's just my 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 brain, my eyes, and my hearing, yeah, and everything else <laughs> I feel that I feel that, yeah, yeah, so I have to haul around this hunk of pork, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but have you been trying anything else um not necessarily. Um, I'm finishing up a pretty good book series. Um, mm-hmm. I've Septimus Heap or whatever it is. Or... No, I I actually ordered some um, some of those books because um, we didn't have all of the series, so they're probably not going to come for a while. Because from what I understand, some of the bookstore delivery services are not very efficiently run um, oh, yeah. or like well funded. But, um, no, I actually fin- am finishing up a series called Scythe by Neil Shusterman. Oh, I've um, heard that. Yeah. yeah, very fascinating. Ba- the premise is, like, um, it's a dystopian novel, or I guess trilogy, um, about how human beings have conquered death, meaning that whatever could render you dead um, now, like in what the, what they call the mortal age, like 2020, what could, it, whatever could render you dead no longer can render you dead um, because of their superior technology and all the, um, the uh, what am I trying to say? Not rules, but like preemptive measures that they've taken, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting because even though we've like beat disease and nobody wars with each other anymore, um, and of course they tackle the idea of like, well, there's nothing really to live for anymore ma- anymore. Cause you can live for pretty much as long as you want. Um, so of course they talk about that, but they also talk about how the earth is finite and then all its resources. And you can maximize those resources with all their futuristic technology, but there still aren't, there's literally not enough square footage on the earth for like 15 billion people. So yeah. they have to, there's a career opportunity Um, so to speak, called scything. And you can become a scythe and you control the population of the earth, essentially. So your job is to go around and kill people. (laughs) And it's very interesting because it's almost like a, not really a religious sect, but it's separate from all governmental operations. So it's very autonomous. Um, And each scythe gets to, they call it gleaning, which I think is funny because it's like a scythe is like what you use to farm and then you like glean and stuff yeah Yeah. um but you get to glean or kill people in whatever way you see fit so of course that creates some divisions within um the scythe you know the scythedom so to speak um where people either glean with like compassion where they'll say hey um I'm going to kill you uh in a month (laughs) Uh, I will kill you in a month. Uh, You can uh, between now and then um, go to your family members, wrap up any loose ends you have, kind of close up your life. And then I will come to you in a month and you tell me how you'd like to die. So there are some sides like that. And then there are some that go, that go onto an airplane that's about to take off and take out flamethrowers and just murder everybody. So it's a cool dive into ethics um, and it follows these two teenagers and how they decide to impact um, the them and the guard around them, so to speak. So, hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, have you ever read Dune by chance? No, that is for sure on my list, though. Okay, because um, <laughs> you honestly reminded me uh, a lot of sort of the way in which People will act in those in that sort of book. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's definitely up there for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, that actually sounds really fascinating. Yeah, it's mm. good, and it is like a you know, it's one of those uh young adult books, so it's not as cool as like a Stephen King could make it, but um, good. it definitely has its moments that I really appreciate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I know it. it's interesting because. Sort of dystopia over time has started to move away from things like Brave New World in 1984, where there was sort of a single unifying point to them. Yeah, which I think is it's good and bad, you know. There's yeah. a lot of ho hum in dystopia these days, and then oh, there's yeah. a lot of really innovative stuff. But, um, oh, yeah. I appreciate oh, it because overall it's about like social commentary. Uh, which I think when you really stick to that and then branch out into, like, the, you know, like, action-y or ethics part of it, I think that that works best. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. <laughs> you okay a there? Broken, a broken kazoo just fell off a shelf. <laughs> Are you being haunted? <laughs> is there a poltergeist in your room? No. This Okay, this is going to sound absolutely insane. All right. Is it so, the man from the woods? No, I... I hope not. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but weird omens are here, dude mm-hmm. uh, uh I have a Buddhist prayer bell, hmm um like you you strike it along the side with a sort of um a sort of mallet, and then you go along the circumference of it and sort of create a bigger resonance. oh, yeah, I think my mom has one of those actually, yeah, so um. <laughs> Uh, guess what decided to throw itself out of a shelf and break in half? Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> yeah, that was yesterday. Um, and I'm I'm really... Ugh. Something's going on, dude.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, like
0: I said, it. well, it's one day before July 3rd. Uh... I've mentioned... Ugh weird stuff's about i think yeah yeah hey looks. funny that you mentioned the date tomorrow yeah because guess what guess we what? have a lot of holidays today <laughs> yeah you know, every day has a lot of holidays <laughs> true true um some of these i think are kind of halfway made up that nobody really recognizes <laughs> yeah Um, But some of the notable ones, um, and this is, we are recording this on July 2nd, um, is World UFO Day, Mm -hmm. World Sports Journalist Day, that's interesting, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Special Recreation for the Disabled Day, which is cool, Mm -hmm. Um, Made in the USA Day, and Freedom from Fear of Speaking Day. Whoa. Yeah, I think that last one is particularly poetic. (laughs) freedom from fear of speaking day. Yeah, it seems almost like too complicated of a name, but at the same point it seems really succinct in what it's talking about. Yeah. 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 Although how would you how would you rather phrase that public speaking day or speaking day? Well, but <laughs> it's freedom from spe- fear of speaking. So, exactly. So it implies a lot more than just saying something like public speaking or Exactly. Yeah. Maybe speaking your mind day. Maybe would be a- I don't know. That's John Lennon's birthday though. It is? No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> I was very confused for yeah. a moment.
0: Oh, I get it now. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and by the way, for you know, anyone who's listening, as well as Nick, um, we're trying out this new format, this kind of structural stuff, um, to kinda you know, make sure that Nick and I don't ramble on for hours on end. <laughs> yeah, which have, uh, which has been basically the format for these past few episodes. Exactly. So you know, we're d- yeah. we're just trying something out. So bear with us. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, of course, July Fourth, Independence Day, <laughs> um, which I don't really know what that's going to look like, fireworks wise. I mean. Um, there's always going to be like you know the the commercialist sales you see on TV for like July Fourth weekend, um, mm. and there's always going to be you know people celebrating despite COVID nineteen. But I don't know what it's going to look yeah. like this year. I bet it's going to be a little more more calm, or it, everything's just going to go to hell in a handbasket. So I, I I assume a bit of the latter. <laughs> seriously, at night just even now it sounds like the siege of paris or something (laughs) yeah i know there was one i live um right next to this this not huge road but a pretty sizable road and this one car it kept like i don't know what it's called but when it sounds like these pops that almost sound like silenced gunshots oh yeah yeah and this car just had like I don't even know what the guy was doing or whatever, but it just sounded literally like there was some Tommy gun, you know, bearing like gangster, yeah. <laughs> she, like trying to rob a bank or something. Sounds Like they were reenacting Scarface. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, just uh, over here at, at night. Cause I, I tend to stay up pretty late. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm working on that at the moment, um, it um it's been weird because lately all I've been it, it's like there's the eight p.m. howl mm-hmm. that thing over here, and then all of a sudden it goes nuts with with fireworks and and things like that, mm-hmm. and then very late at night you'll hear the drag racers going. Okay. <laughs> you know that's it's funny. My neighbor my neighborhood doesn't really do the eight p.m. thing anymore. Really? Yeah. Which I, oh. I kind of my, my family always liked it because it kind of it almost felt like a relief of like all the frustration oh, yeah. you may have. Yeah. But now it just seems like socially unacceptable or something because nobody <laughs> does it anymore. Yeah, you'll you'll be you'll be shunned in the community. Yeah, by the <laughs> next door app. By the next door app. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now it's I don't know. It's a weird thing, Um I remember when it was really huge going on. Mm-hmm. It's really gone down here in terms of its prevalence. Yeah. Um, but um, when it was really in swing, uh, I like to joke with my parents you know, 20 years hence, dogs are still going to start howling randomly at 8 p.m. Yeah, totally. And people are going, and nobody's going to have an idea why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only the, yeah. the real ones will remember. Yeah. They'll be like, ah. That oh that actually reminds me of a good story. Like, one of the last times we did the howl, um, there's this family with, like, two, like, four-year-olds across the street, um, and they were doing their thing. They were, like, howling, and then their parents were howling, um, and then everyone kind of, like, took a breath at the same moment to keep howling, <laughs> and then you hear <laughs> just from a distance this sh- blood-curling shrieking from, like, a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> It was the people like Ah oh. it sounds like uh it sounds like a berserker or something. Yeah, totally. So. It was such <laughs> it's such perfect timing though. And you could tell he wasn't like in danger or anything. He was just like very frustrated or just trying to let it all out at once and Yeah Oh man. Yeah. So good. Something else my family did. We always uh like to take out drums. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um just Like these, um, sort of like these rawhide drums and just beat them with mallets and Mm -hmm. to a certain sort of metronome beat. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we tended to do that a bit. We stopped because Mm -hmm. it it was kind (laughs) of (laughs) ridiculous. Hey, but whatever gives you like catharsis, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Tomorrow is July 3rd. And that is the nice. date that your family predicted that um, some sort of rapturous event will take place. Not really a rapture. Um, so- something. <laughs> <We> <laughs> I do. The- I can concur that something will happen tomorrow. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, but we we called it the wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have no idea what it might mean, but if we're taking a look at the Bible and if Trump is the antichrist, (laughs) (laughs) hopefully it's a wrath on the people who need some, uh, guidance, so to speak. Well, I mean, the idea is, um, it's supposed in biblical terms, it's supposed to be the day that, um, the antichrist will reveal their true self, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever that may functionally mean. Um, and I, I have my, my, a few suspicions. <laughs> that just kind of, I feel like that kind of be like a cool joke though. Like if mm-hmm. it manifested very like literally, like if Donald Trump literally like grew horns or like, you know, mm-hmm. if Mitch McConnell brandished a pitchfork or something. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, they do like a, a medic, a Medicare thing. And Mitch McConnell walks in a robe and Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah well we'll see We if something if an event does take place then you will definitely hear about it next episode <laughs> yeah y- you'll, you'll, you'll hear about it as the country plunges into civil war or something I yes yeah. <laughs> and even if an event doesn't take place then we'll just have to pin it on something seemingly insignificant but really will determine the future of life as we knew it Although all of this could be complete horseshit. Well, anything (laughs) could be complete horseshit, but... Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) All right, and then some current events. Um, We got some news. There's a spike in COVID cases currently across Uh America, Um, especially in places quick to reopen. A spike would be an understatement. Uh, Um... A steady increase. Yeah. How's that? Steady increase. How about an, an avalanche of cases? An avalanche. <laughs> but what's interesting enough, I did read that um, deaths are decreasing still. Really? Yeah, even with the increase in cases. Um, uh, young people are being more reckless with transmitting the the virus. But old people, um, the target kind of uh, mortality, I guess, or like the demographic that gets targeted the most uh, death-wise yeah. Um, they're apparently being much more cautious because it's mm. becoming a lot more prevalent in smaller communities.
1: Um,
0: yeah. Although uh, many of the nursing homes in Colorado are actually doing pretty good, which I'm thankful for. Yeah. Um, we've been doing rather nicely with the whole thing. Yeah, um, which I appreciate. I think Jared Polis is doing a pretty good job of, you know, trying to stimulate the economy without overstepping any boundaries. So I wish he would mandate masks, though. That is. Uh, yeah and and it's so <laughs> that's such a weird okay I really uh, <laughs> sorry this yeah. is so this is a point of passion for me, but I appreciate all the libertarians of the world and all the conservatives that think that they kind of take on the idea that there shouldn't be a government right because right. we can do what we want i I totally appreciate that if i could there's a I don't remember his name, but there's this great Australian comedian and he taught, he has a great bit on um, gun control and how government should um, intervene. Um, And he's like, (laughs) I can take drugs like a freaking champion. That doesn't mean (laughs) that, you know, Sally Mae should take as much cocaine as she can and then shoot her kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. And I because I totally appreciate that. nobody wants to wear a mask. you know? Nobody yeah. wants to not be able to fly whatever flag they want or put whatever statue they want in their yard. I get that. Nobody wants to be told no, of course not. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's a point at which the consequences are going to get to you. like this is for your guys as good. This isn't to infringe on your rights. This isn't yeah. to control you. If this is the amount of control that the government wants, what, what are we so upset about? Masks yeah. aren't going to demean us as human beings. No. I totally get it. It sucks. It sucks. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. It's itchy. It gets sweaty. It's, it smells weird sometimes if you don't wash it like every four hours. We get it. <laughs> Masks aren't great. And they're not even the solution either. They do stuff, yeah. but they don't do everything. I get it. But guys the whole point is we're trying to protect everybody from the consequences. We are like one of the last affluent countries to still be having a terrible, still technically first wave, but a terrible second wave as well. Yeah. So I don't know. That's my hot take on it. I mean, masks suck. They really do. But if you can, you know, try to wear one as much as possible. Yeah. You know, it's it's weird because... Again, I'm going to get into my usual politics. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Understandably. Yeah, and coming from a classically Marxist point of view, uh, under traditional circumstances, I would support the Second Amendment mm-hmm. on, a, on many levels. Totally. I it's your it's right. A, it's, everyone, it's anyone's yeah. right. I think it's a tremendously good thing. Yeah. I think, honestly, if we are to keep um, the American experiment alive. Mm. The first, and second amendments are the two most powerful. Totally, we, China. We don't want to be China, where the government gets so powerful that you know the citizens don't have any weapons or guns to like retaliate. That's ridiculous. Exactly, and of course, uh, really, if there is any sort of proletarian surge in a desire to try and uh, advance workers' rights and all of that. Mm-hmm then that's going to be a very useful uh, aspect. To yeah. It. Means of getting there. Exactly. But <laughs> you know, at the moment, um, I, I think it's, it's far from, from especially useful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, at the, at the riots lately, I think something that, that would be necessary is maybe arming in response to all of these, these Confederate morons. Um, yeah i don't know man sorry i i I, yeah that's the that's the yankee in me talking Mm. but i just think that really at the moment aside from that there is really no need for this kind of constant militarization or yeah or a need to have a populace which is armed and caught in a state of economic tension totally economic and social tension and of course with the obvious political dimension to everything mm. especially what's what's happened with trump lately yeah uh, uh and that's one thing i notice so for for the listener um hunter has been kind enough to put together a little master doc for us <laughs> to, to sort of deal with things um Because he's infinitely more organized than I am. Thank you. Um, And I'm profoundly thankful for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he... um, Something you didn't list in the current events section is something that I think is kind of important. Yes. Go for it. The Russian bounties bit. Oh, I'm Um, not aware of that What? You aren't... Oh my god. Enlighten me, please. Oh dear. Um, Okay, so... (laughs) what's going on with um the taliban in afghanistan right now is that apparently they've been funded by russia oh my gosh it's a cold war all (laughs) over again yeah they've been funded by russia who's been fundamentally just giving them bounties on american soldiers whoa it's about a hundred thousand per head apparently dang for um every Taliban fighter who manages to do this. Now, that in and of itself is fundamentally incredibly screwed up. Right. What's even worse is that our president has known about it for about eight months. What? And has done nothing. Oh, no. Yeah. How is that, like, not the most unpatriotic thing? It is... (laughs) That is beyond unpatriotic. That is not... Oh my gosh. ...near capable of serving in his office. Oh. That is... Not... I know. Trust me. <laughs> it's... It, when I heard about it, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Just... Oh my goodness, yeah. How has this happened? How have we gotten to this point at which we have a president who is capable of this and yet still is able to maintain about a third of the country's constant support? Yeah. Do, how did we get this information then if it was kept secret for so long? Well, it happens that a number of White House staffers and the entirety of our nation's <laughs> security apparatus have put out that they put it in his daily briefing, that they talked to him about it, that there were constant reminders of it, that he just ignored at every turn. Damn. Yeah. That is rough. It is tremendously rough. (laughs) (laughs) It's mad. It really is insane. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, man. you can you can obviously support whatever president you want. Um, some of my some good friends of mine support Donald Trump for some for yeah. some interesting reasons. But um, man, that's that's just rough. No matter, I don't care what universe you're from, <laughs> it's gotta yeah. hurt. Yeah, and if I, I I would traditionally say the same. Um, because again, just I, I, I think I have opponents in a political sphere. People I, I'm opposed to, but I can still respect them mm. on a certain. That's been shaken to an extent right now. So yeah, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, mm. true. So, so yes. So that happened. Is there any like developments about that? Like. Well, there have been developments over time, um, namely that the Trump, uh, that, that the Trump, the Trump, Trump, uh, <laughs> the, Trump. That, the Trump, namely that the Trump um, <laughs> has um, fundamentally said, has changed his story on this multiple different times. Um, and that it's come out in more vivid detail that the national security apparatus was aware of this for a very long time. Uh, that it's also been corroborated by British intelligence. Whoa. Um who have had the same bounties put against them in Afghanistan. Has um have they actually been responding? They have not, because they they need US backing in order to sort of perform a diplomatic move like that. Oh, right. Yeah. Cause if it, seriously, if the UK of all countries goes against Russia on its own. Mm. <laughs> A country which is estranged from the European Union and very much so sort of sort of trying in a way to distance itself from from Theresa May's premiership and mm-hmm. and, and by consequence Trump, um, they're not in a in a place to really try and make any moves on their own. So okay. I think geopolitical calculation more than anything that's motivating them. Okay yeah it's weird yeah it's and it's bizarre because um because our our president has immediately after this information came out said oh i was just informed about it recently i i only learned about this a few a few days ago which kind of Uh, quite honestly may have been true He might have just literally willfully ignored it (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the thing. That could have been entirely true, but at the same time, he was also dealing with Russia all throughout that period. Mm -hmm. So it would be entirely likely that it would have at least cropped up in some sort of meeting. My goodness. And now, his most recent claim is that it's all a hoax. That is... That is is Orwellian. (laughs) (laughs) That does seem to be the reliable thing to do considering that It's hard to say no to. It's like those things where it's like when you win an argument, but you don't feel satisfied because the other person isn't, you know, as as equipped as you to understand that you're right. Does that make sense? (laughs) Isn't as equipped as you to understand. I didn't want to say not as smart as you, but (laughs) you got a bit euphemistic there, dude. Okay, (laughs) but I, I get what you mean, but. I, I think that this is utterly une- inexcusable. Yeah, and I think he is going to try and make whatever moves he can. But I mean, it's one thing to say that like Obama was inhumane for drone striking becoming the main you know p- oh, yeah. point of uh, whatever that's called engagement in the Middle East because of yeah. course that's an issue. But I mean, this is like another ball game. Is on another level. I mean, for God's sake, the closest we've ever come to this is Nixon. Um, and him literally artificially prolonging the Vietnam War so he could use it as an election issue. Yeah. But beyond that, this is without precedent. Yeah. This is literally our president willfully ignoring or being conscious of and choosing not to act in response to a foreign power. In Russia, nonetheless. Russia, yeah. In response to a foreign power um, actively trying to murder U.S. soldiers. Mm-hmm. And on the contrary, offering them all of these concessions, offering this foreign power, uh, Russia, us, ta- us taking a number of troops out of Germany mm-hmm. and to invite them back into the G7 after they were thrown out. Yeah incentivizing this behavior Mm -hmm. that is unimaginable yeah yeah well it's crazy because you know whether whether you think america's fighting for like democracy or even like oil or religion and faith i mean Mm -hmm. i think a lot of the times it boils down to alliances and the interwoven connectivity of agendas yeah, I, this is what I think can be gleaned from this. We do not have a president who has this nation's interests at heart. And it's, that's so sad to say, it's so sad to hear too, you know? Well, I, I think that in many cases, this is just the truth. This is the case with a lot of presidents. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. This is entirely the way in which politics functions, but at this point, where even that own sort of politicians either approach to things isn't with their sort of, like, say a person has a distorted view of what America needs and then tries to act upon that politically. Mm-hmm. That is an entirely different case from this. Yeah, totally. Um, or if somebody is deliberately acting to try and, uh, make gains purely in a political sphere or try and, um, Sustain their power through whatever means necessary in that sort of way. this is just the most extreme example of that that the American people have been confronted with yeah it's been going on for for decades for really centuries, but this is insane mm. it's a insane. it's a very good instance of it for sure yeah it's a profoundly uh it's a very awakening sort of example of it i think mm-hmm. yeah, so. Yeah. Well, there was a jade mine landslide in uh, Myanmar. Developing economy, um, trying to enter the world trade sphere. Uh, this sort of thing will happen. Yep. And yeah, that that that's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, Myanmar is a fascinating country. Yeah, because it's in, isn't it Southeast Asian? Southeast Asian, yeah. Um, And there are a lot of different sort of dimensions to it. Uh, Namely that it's probably one of the few countries out there which has at least somewhat peacefully uh, transitioned from a military dictatorship to a semi-democratic system. Nice. Um, where still the the military I think holds about a third of the parliament. Oof. Uh, <laughs> um, which is one of the a, a very rapidly developing economy that's starting to move into sort of various spheres of influence while at the same time being responsible for the Rohingya genocide and you know various other things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, while well, it's taking this pluralistic direction, and mm-hmm. what, but, and it's also another example of a uh, a country which at least claimed at one point to be communist, uh, moving in a capitalistic direction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, weird, weird show. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Well, should we move on to the one question questionnaire? Uh, sure. <laughs> this is a bit of a a lighter um, note of the episode. So <laughs> <laughs> after you know, the treachery to democracy thing. Exactly, you know? which you know shakes shakes things up a little bit, to say the least. Yeah, just a little. Yeah. Um. But our question for today is: If you could take the place of one character in a movie, who would it be, and from what movie? Uh. You go first. I need to figure <laughs> out my. Right. Well, I was thinking of this because any good movie has a great deal of conflict in it, right? And resolution, hopefully, or or not. If it doesn't have resolution, that could be good too. But I don't yeah. know. I I think you would have to be I'm trying to think of a movie that ends really satisfyingly, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where like the characters are are pretty well off yeah and I mean jeez I can't think of one now oh I guess maybe I'd like to be like I feel like I'd like to be Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings movies Mm, he doesn't necessarily have the best time with it. I know, but I think there's something really admirable about Tolkien kind of gives him s- such a way that yeah, he is kind of like an exterior force, so to speak. Because, you right. know, the Lord of the Rings contains a lot of allusions to like religion and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I think Gandalf is kind of one of those almost biblical figures where... In other words, I I really like being the guy that just kinda like helps out. Um, he never like directly interferes with like Frodo trying to destroy the ring, but he's always just kind of fighting the good battle. Um and even like his his um position becomes so important that he literally is rescued from death. So <laughs> Yeah. He he is much more of a of a being. Yeah. Sort of like this ethereal consciousness or or just this this continuing soul. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, Plus, Ian McKellen. Yeah. Uh, everybody wants to be Ian McKellen, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know who I'd want to be. Um, uh, have you ever seen Twin Peaks? No. Hmm. Well, that's a show, so uh, never mind. <laughs> um it could be a show too if you want it to be. Okay. Um <laughs> I don't know. Um I don't know. I I if I could if I could choose very much so a character who I would really love just just being in the context of this film because of how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. Uh it would be Jules. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character in Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, just because he has an incredibly insane arc. Mm-hmm. And as far as we're aware, anyway, he survives the whole film. So Yeah, my I watched my first Tarantino the other day, and it was The Hateful Eight. Oh, my God. That's such a good movie. I know. It is absolutely insane it is so awesome i love how there's just a point at which everything the whole mood of the movie just like changes that's exact that's what happens in every tarantino flick dude Mm -hmm. just you'll uh uh you'll find a point at which he really descends into total madness yeah i'm excited i'm really excited to explore that more yeah um what are you thinking of watching next Potentially of his Tarantino wise. Um Well, I mean, obviously, I want to hit Pulp Fiction because, like, you gotta. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to wait on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because, I don't know. I feel like that's such a later work of his, even though obviously Hateful Eight is late right. too. But right. I don't um, know. I I kind of I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, if I were to recommend one, and this one is on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, if you really liked The Hateful Eight, I think you would love uh, Django Unchained. Right. Isn't that the Jamie Foxx movie? Yep, that's Jamie Foxx. Uh, is it kind of similar, like, Western sort of thing? Uh, well, <laughs> you, uh, you can tell with uh, The Hateful Eight, he likes to play with sort of Western tropes and their yeah, settings. Totally. It's like in that, they're snowed in and everything, and they're isolated on the the mountain. Yeah. Um, What's interesting about Django Unchained is that it takes that sort of Western hero archetype Mm -hmm. and puts them into the antebellum South. um, Oh. Like Mississippi. Dang. Um, And it's really impressively well done, and it's really really incredible um it has uh leonardo dicaprio in it too nice uh then there's christoph waltz who um who uh <laughs> you haven't seen in Glorious bastards so no um. all right well just know christoph waltz is an incredible austrian actor mm-hmm. um, and he's in uh django unchained so nice do you think I mean, he's yeah. ever made do you think tarantino's ever made like a bad movie uh totally uh dusk till dawn um which is an awful film oh, um, is that one of his like ten movies that he's gonna make uh it's weird because if you count it a certain way he he already has <laughs> already. <laughs> um but i don't know um yeah the idea is apparently he has one more um that he's that he wants to do. Mm. And then Retire. Uh, but that one, I think he wrote the screenplay for, her, and then he co-directed it with somebody else. So. 63% Ron Tomatoes. Yeah. I-, I think it's an awful movie. Oh, he acts in it, too. He does, and he's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I I know there are people who really enjoy that one, but just... I've never gotten Vampires? it. Vampires? Yeah, vampires. Yeah. What? Vampires in a Mexican strip club. Basically. Wow. Yeah. I kind of want to see it, though. <laughs> I know. it's a, it, it, The thing is, it's, it's a good watch. It, it, the thing is, for me, it's hilariously bad. Yeah. A lot of ways. Um, I think it's really intensely silly. Mm hmm. Uh, but uh, at times, I think it takes itself too seriously. No, wow. I don't know. It's it's incredibly silly. It's bizarre as hell. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's Tarantino playing with his own Tarantinoisms in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and, and there there there's a there's there's some to be said about it. I think it's it. it I appreciate how insanely out there it is Mm -hmm. but just as a movie i i really don't want to watch it if it ever comes on like the tv or something do you think you could rank his movies uh oh dear um or just if you could like have like a tier list you know yeah well i think that um easily this is predictable but my favorite of his is pulp fiction Mm -hmm. um yeah screw it, I'll give like a top ten or something all right All uh, right. so worst I think is is probably from dusk till dawn mm. then um above that uh kill bill um oh, which part or, or not not kill bull then kill bill um <laughs> 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 sorry, my mind's sort of drifting off in a few directions that's all right. But, um, just above that, as like his worst main movie, mm-hmm. um, I would say "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood." Oh wow! Um, because he he very much so tries for something new and for a a perspective that's very different from what he traditionally does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think there's he he does something very well with the human at with emphasizing the human aspect to the story in that. Mm-hmm. But it it just doesn't feel lively to me, and it it, it it's don't get me wrong, it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like it could have been executed a bit better. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then above that, I would probably have um, I'd probably have Kill Bill Volume Two, uh, then Volume One. Okay um then uh above that inglorious bastards um which I think is a wonderful movie, but is is uh very out there, very strange yeah um yeah, and not definitely not his best sort of stuff I've heard of it's like one of his most violent it is one of eh, eh. I'd say uh, Hateful Eight. It depends on what kind of violence you mean. Okay. Yeah. No, wait, never mind. Scratch that for Inglorious Bastards. I put Hateful Eight in that spot. Okay. And then put Inglorious Bastards above that. Um, and then after Inglorious Bastards, probably Django Unchained. Ooh. I think that's a. That's a lovely flick. Um, it, it, it's a very, it's a very nice love story, a very nice Western story, mm-hmm. and and it's got a racially relevant message. That's that's awfully well done and very well executed. That's and- what I liked about Hateful Eight because it seemed very much like a very specific piece of historical fiction. You know. Yeah, because it exactly. almost seemed like brutally honest, but also so satirical in a way that it it just made you think, but it also made you yeah. laugh at it. Exactly. Uh, that you'll you'll see less of sort of like a philosophical dimension to mm-hmm. uh, uh, Django Unchained, but it, it it is very much so sort of a celebration of all of these different tropes you find in things. Um, cool, and there is this. There is an intensely, uh, just heart-wrenching and freakish sort of scene uh involving, uh, involving Beethoven. I won't, I won't, uh, spoil it for you, but, okay. God. <laughs> God. That's, oh, whoa. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know. I, I have a feeling I'll know what you're talking about. Yeah, um and uh which has so many political uh philosophical dimensions and such a beautiful edge to it mm-hmm. um, then above um above that above Django unchained mm. I would probably put um Jackie Brown, oh wow yeah uh which i think is a is an incredibly good sort of sort of look into just this, this really fascinating story that you can tell uh, Tarantino was very passionate about adapting um, and trying to put into this context and it it was wonderfully well done. Nice. Got great characters. Jackie herself is incredible. Um, There are these, these lovely sort of semi satiric, semi screwed up scenes (laughs) in it. Um, I really enjoy it. Who plays Jackie Brown? Uh, oh, I forget her name. Um, why am Why am I forgetting her name? She's pretty well known, I think. Pam uh, Greer. Uh, yeah. Never mind. I <laughs> I think this was her biggest thing. Um, it, it's a it's a wonderful movie. Um, and it. I think it's very much so sort of an exploration of its kind of period. Mm -hmm. It's trying to look at this, this sort of mid seventies inner city criminal sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think it has, it it does it very well. I think. Nice. I don't want to spoil it because there's, there's lots to it. Okay. (laughs) Um, Then above that, Uh, I would put, actually, Tarantino's debut movie. Reservoir? Reservoir Dogs, because just, that is an incredibly good flick. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly solid. I think that uh, Harvey Cattell is amazing in it. Isn't Tommy Lee Jones in that? Uh, Yeah, he is. Okay. Um, (laughs) Did you know he went to Harvard? Yep. Oh my gosh, yes. Feels just wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's so strange. He, um... Oh, what was it? He roomed up at in Harvard with some president. With some president, I don't remember who it was. Hold on. I, I let me let me think for a moment. I'd assume it would be either like Bill Clinton or or maybe Obama. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was someone like that. Yeah, Al Gore. Sorry, it wasn't a president. It was really a, yeah. Candidate, yeah, yeah, um, and then as probably my favorite of those movies of uh, Tarantino's flicks, mm-hmm. um, I would I would have to say easily uh, Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, just I I think that's probably the default answer for Tarantino as his best. Yeah, but just. Oh my god! <laughs> At every turn, it's it's an amazing movie. Just there, I feel like even though it has this really inflated, really long runtime, mm-hmm. um, there aren't any bits that a person can really stick their their finger through, mm-hmm. or or say, "Oh, this didn't need to be there." Um, That's I love that when there's purposeful filmmaking like that. Yeah. It's very purposeful filmmaking, but in a very weird way. Mm-hmm. In that it has all of these condensed sort of narratives put together. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's a wonderfully screwed up and a wonderfully beautiful movie at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ending scene to that flick is probably uh, one of my favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, there is, uh, of course... Uh, Samuel L. Jackson in it. Um, there's uh, uh, what's his name? Who? Oh God. Um, I I scientist? I see. I know his face. I can see his face. I can't remember his name. The crazy Scientologist dude. Yeah yeah yeah. That's uh, right. is it Travolta? Yeah, John Travolta. Yeah That's yeah. It. Okay. He's in that, and uh, he and um, he and Samuel L. Jackson do wonderfully. Uh, Uma Thurman's in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, incredibly acted on that one um, and it has these insane crazy scenes I, I think generally with Pulp Fiction a person understands so many of the references from it without having seen it mm-hmm. um, just uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are scenes that a person can know or what not references that a person will make in passing well like I've always heard of like El Royale with cheese or whatever <laughs> yeah and well oh yeah, I with cheese, yeah, and it just <laughs> uh, also like a five dollar milkshake that'll be a good milkshake, yeah yeah, uh, that sort of thing um and of course uh, um uh do you know like uh ezekiel twenty five seventeen yeah uh yeah you you get that reference, yeah, all right, so <laughs> you're you're basically there with the rest of humanity nice (laughs) Uh, uh, it's oh i i think that one reason why it's so good is because it's it's everywhere yeah and like the first time you see it you're like oh i get this now (laughs) (laughs) but it's it is unimaginably good i think so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there you go that's the definitive list the definitive list of Tarantino flicks. Yep. And evidently, I've we've, in our efforts at trying to avert our own, rambling, here we are. We rambled, but it's all right. What was your first Tarantino movie? Uh, Pulp, uh, pulp Fiction. Wow, what a way to start. Yeah. So I mean, it only went downhill from there. <laughs> uh, downhill would be an exaggeration. <laughs> Oh, God, it's such a a good movie. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm going to... So, I started in the... You started... I started uh, in the kind of middle of your list. Yeah. And then I'm going to... So, I did this, and then I'm going to bump up to Django. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. There you go. Nice. That works well. Yeah, I love doing stuff like that though, with like certain um, directors and just going like so deep on their stuff. Oh yeah, no, I remember I did that with Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um, just like uh, I think the first uh, Martin Scorsese film that I actually saw all the way through mm-hmm. was Taxi Driver. Yeah, and oh, <sighs> that 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 is easily, uh, you know, like how we did that uh, one choice novel thing. Yeah. Uh, and I chose Notes from Underground, this this book by Dostoevsky. Yeah, I chose that book entirely because I heard it was an influence on Taxi Driver. Oh, nice! Yeah. and it's an incredible movie, incredible book. It's it's a dream. Yeah, and beautiful. Totally. The only I think the only Scorsese I've seen was Goodfellas. Hmm. I, I I think that he he does a lot of those kinds of flicks where it's uh it's goodfellas uh casino um oh crap uh of course the irishman yeah this um, is most recent really incredible sort of well incredibly well executed gangster flicks mm-hmm. um and they i i think goodfellas is just probably one of the most solid films ever put together oh for sure yeah um because uh, like with um, Pulp Fiction, there's no place where you can really stick your finger through it and say, oh, this doesn't need to be here. Mm-hmm. It all just works so beautifully well with things. Um, yeah. Uh, same with Taxi Driver. <laughs> totally. I love I love when something feels just so solid like that. Yeah. It, it's, it's just like everything works together well. There's no flab. It just is what it is, and it's perfect. Oh, yeah, and I love the end, not really monologue, but the (laughs) breaking of the fourth wall. That doesn't spoil anything for viewers, but... (laughs) Well, if you haven't seen... All right, this is to you, viewer, or listener, or whatever you are. If you have not seen Goodfellas, you need to get the hell on that. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Oh, my God. For sure. Just carve out a... a, two two and a half hours in your day, maybe three yeah. and a half hours to process, <laughs> <laughs> and then just and then watch it yeah you you will thank us seriously yeah <laughs> um yeah, and um beyond that um, uh I really adored his movie silence um silence silence um which had um Interestingly, Adam Driver and Liam Neeson in it. Oh, yeah, and it, it's it's fundamentally this really profound look into things like things like Zen and sort sort of this this very quiet life. It's it, it's not going to be for everybody, but um, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, it looks like it, it. it's got a pretty cool cast. It really does. Um, and just I, I think it's it is basically these two cultures coming up against one another and mm-hmm. sort of having to face each other uh, these Portuguese missionaries in Japan and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's tremendously well done. Um, and there is just there's such a, a wealth of just experience, and it's a very slow burn in a lot of ways. And it's a very beautiful movie, too. Um, it has this really gorgeous sort of cinematic style, and oh. the dialogue is really well done. It, it, it is like a dream more than anything. Are there any movies that you've seen that you think offer more from a cinematography point of view than an actual like plot point of view? uh 2001 a space odyssey. Oh. Um, yeah, I think it's sort of like the quintessential popular example of that. Totally, totally. Um Honest Hmm. if I had to say um have you ever heard of Andrei Tarkovsky? No. Uh, he's this one Russian filmmaker uh who did uh films like Stalker and uh Solaris. Um and I think with those you see. I, I remember somebody just. Uh, there's this long-standing um, sort of comparison of him to Kubrick. Oh, okay. Um, and have you have you seen much Kubrick by chance? Well, I've of course seen like The Shining, mm-hmm. but I think that's it. I I I've seen bits and pieces of two thousand one when I was really little. Oh dear. When you were really little. Yeah. God help you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, with... Um, my favorite movie of his is easily A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Because it is an insanely wild movie. And it's it's got a lot of really gorgeous and terrifying moments. Should I read the book first of that? No. Okay. Um, I, I think that really... What any person would be well advised to do with A Clockwork Orange is consider the book and the film as two as two very separate works. Kubrick uh, seems to do that. Yeah, he, do- he does that incredibly often. Uh, I mean, Doctor Strangelove, uh, which is an incredible comedic movie, mm. uh, gorgeously screwed up, uh, probably the best I've seen Kurt Douglas do in a film, <laughs> which <laughs> seems like a weird thing to say uh was actually based off of a really sort of gritty political thriller in the time and all of that. and It was a complete overhaul of it, and it was really well done. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there's uh, Lolita, where he actually had Vladimir Nabokov, the author, write the screenplay. Oh, that's cool. And uh, that did wonderfully, and apparently Nabokov was awfully happy about it. I mean, he won an Oscar <laughs> for the screenplay he wrote. So. Yeah. I mean uh I doubt he would be especially unhappy uh I know with Spartacus uh he really pissed off dalton Trumbo um uh the screenwriter for that mm-hmm. and then with two thousand he's had a weird relationship with the authors he's worked with <laughs> um uh why am I spacing out on his name um who wrote 2001: Space Odyssey? Uh, Arthur C. Clarke. That's it. Uh, he wrote the book concurrently with Kubrick doing the film. Okay. Um, and it's it, it's very interesting. It, it's it's an intriguing sort of look into it, but yeah. Anyway, back to Andrei Tarkov- Tarkovsky. That's where we started with this. Yeah. Story. Um, I've heard it described that uh, what. Kubrick is fundamentally a very technical filmmaker, hmm. a very technical director. And I've heard it described that his work is prose, like prose writing in a novel or a short story. Yeah. While uh, Andre Tarkovsky's is, by comparison, visual poetry. Oh. And it is tremendously beautiful. Um, I think in terms of cinematography, it's just it's just built amazingly well yeah Um, and it's beautifully realized the dialogue is very ethereal the whole way in which things are done is just gorgeous Mm -hmm. um and from the writery side of myself can really appreciate his stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, because he he very much so pulls from that sort of eastern european Uh, gritty science fiction side to things right Um, like his best known flick Solaris is based off of uh, the Czech writers uh, the Czech writer Stanislaw Lem's book of the same name Um, which is far from his best book but a good one nonetheless so yeah I think it's I think that Tarkovsky is probably the best cinematography Smith out there. Totally. Yeah. So, that sounds awesome. Yeah. And he was also working in the Soviet Union, so you've got to <laughs> got, got to applaud him for a lot of his uh perseverance there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know they made a remake of Solaris? Uh yes. With uh, George Clooney. Yeah. Not 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 Cinema's finest hour. I gotta say, I feel like George Clooney sometimes takes just whatever job is thrown at him. I, I think that's the case with a lot of actors who... I think with with George Clooney and, uh, like, Nicolas Cage... Yeah. What tends to happen is they'll do, like, a movie where they throw themselves completely into their role, and they're really good at it. Mm-hmm. And they do it incredibly well. Or they'll just take a job because it's there. Yeah. They'll either do really poorly on it or... It's the difference between Raising Arizona and National Treasure. Exactly. Because, I mean, Raising Arizona... Oh, God, that's a wonderful movie. Wonderful. Wonderfully well-done movie. Nicolas Cage is incredible in it. And Holly Hunter, the whole lot. Yeah. There... Did I say Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. One of my favorite. I need something. <laughs> um and, um, and meanwhile, by comparison, National Treasure is meant to be like a box office. Totally. Tra- that, that's all it was meant to be. And I think in that, Nick pulls off his job well, because <laughs> mm-hmm. it doesn't demand that much of him. Yeah. It, it's not a very insightful movie. It doesn't really matter. It just sort of is. Yeah. And I think he's okay with that. Yeah. I think a very similar thing is true of of Johnny Depp. Um, Yes, yes. Which is especially weird because you watch, like, interviews with him, and he is one of the most intensely zen and and put-together sort of actors out there. I wouldn't say put-together, but... Okay, well, well, he seems very (laughs) put-together. In reality, he lives, like, the crazy Hollywood lifestyle. He's... He... Yeah, he's a weird dude yeah yeah I, I i like to think of him as probably close to the hunter thompson hunter s thompson of actors yeah in a weird way yeah because especially because you can't really tell where uh his character ends and he begins yeah like joaquin phoenix yeah well with joaquin phoenix i think he's He's got a lot of integrity to him. Oh, I think. I think he has some of the most integrity, almost to the oh, point yeah. where it's kind of scary. Yeah, he's just sort of like, I really don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I, I mean, can you imagine being his agent or publicist? Yeah, that would be a nightmare. That sounds like, but it would, that would be a nightmare. But I think probably just being able to know him. True and. The way he functions within his situation. Yeah. I think that would probably be. At least close to. uh, Enough of a sort of reward for that. If that makes much sense. Yeah and I think you would take it more like. Just like you know this part of the business. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do wonder. What the hell is Daniel Day-Lewis like? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) Because I don't. That's a case where he's got so many characters to him. And so many different sort of sides to who he is mm-hmm. that you really can't tell who Daniel Day Lewis is unless you really like know him. Yeah. Because um, I mean, like, I hear like people say, um, do a Daniel Day Lewis impression, and they'll always like just impress uh, im do an impression of one of his characters. Because mm-hmm. who is he? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, weird stuff. Yeah. Oh, goes. Anyway, where, where did this conversation begin? We were talking about uh, if you could be a character in a movie, and then we started talking about filmmakers. All right. Yeah. Cool. So that was, a, that was actually a sensible digression. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's something. Within the realm of Tarantino, which movie would you want to be in? Like, if you had to be in one of his movies uh probably once upon a time in hollywood because that one fundamentally ends the best for its characters <laughs> i think um which may sound weird to say considering what happens to some of them mm-hmm. but um i i mean it's it's fundamentally a world in which the sharon tate murders or the charles manson murders don't go according to plan. Oh. Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, and it's it's connected very much so to, to our world. And there's a lot of meditation on sort of things that I really think are incredibly important to um, sort of our modern world and obviously the world then in the 60s. hmm it's the closest to reality, I think. Okay, I, I'd probably want to live in that one. Nice. Yeah, either that or Jackie Brown, presumably. Yeah, Because, again the most grounded and real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is cool. I like that you got. I, I'm. I wrote down just for our listeners. I wrote down all his rankings and I'm, and I'm looking him over. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think overall you can't really go wrong with Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I, I think if anybody claimed as much, they'd be a snob. Um, yeah. Seriously, you can watch Even Dusk Till Dawn, which I think is is trash as a movie, <laughs> and still really love it. Nice. It's, it's tremendously fun. Yeah. Ways, especially on first time viewing it, um, it gets old after a while. Just like but. I think there are totally movies like that though. Yeah. But I think with with Tarantino, just watch everything. <laughs> I will. That's my goal. Because he is he is an incredible dude. And his films are absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So Well, is there uh anything else you'd like to add to the agenda, good sir? Well, I, I notice uh on here. On the uh, the Google Doc we have, you say, story. <laughs> Whatever should be told in the moment. Well, I was kind of looking for just, like, riffing on the question we asked, and we kind of did that. Mm. Yeah, we kind of did. Yeah. Is there any... I'm kind of... Oh. Uh, hmm. All right. <laughs> yeah, there really isn't much, I think, that we have left to left to cover. I think this is awfully sort of a satisfying end to things. But yeah, if you have any like like you're super free, obviously, to like edit this stuff, but I think we should try another structure. Try another structure? Yeah, like for our next episode. Uh alright. Well we we've tried basically stream of consciousness <laughs> and we've We've tried uh, this sort of semi-rigid, but also very flexible structure. No, I mean, like, I like this one. Like, I feel like we should roll with it. Oh, so we should try this one again? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love this. And just, like, see if we, you know, like to feel it out more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that this really worked well. Yeah, totally. Um, And then, yeah, of course, if you ever have any, like, input, of course, just... Yeah. Yeah. I'll make sure contact you with that nice um so how do we how should we potentially cap this off i don't know i don't we don't really have like a i don't think we should have like a saying like you know yeah but because that's tremendously cheap yeah 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 (laughs) yeah all right think. what do you think I... I think maybe I should read the audience some poetry. Oh, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Okay. Do it, dude. That sounds... Should it be mine or should it be someone else's? Or, sh- or what? How about surprise us? Just don't tell us. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, in this case, I will share a very obscure poem that I really love. All right. That I actually have at my bedside nice Uh, as it it's probably the one thing that really really inspired me to chase poetry as a thing uh the poem is called a moonlit night on the spring river Ooh, yeah all right so here we go in the spring in spring the river rises as high as the sea and with the river's rise, the moon uprises bright. She follows the rolling waves for 10,000 li, and where the river flows, there overflows her light. The river winds around the the fragrant islet where the blooming flowers and her light all look like snow. You cannot tell her beams from poor frost in the air, nor from white sand upon farewell beach below. No dust has stained the water blending with the skies. A lonely wheel like moon shines bright and far and wide. Who by the riverside foresaw the moon arise? When did the moon foresee a man by riverside? Ah, generations have come and passed away. From year to year the moons look alike old and new. We do not know tonight for whom she sheds her ray, but hear the river say to to its water adieu. Away away is a, is sailing a single cloud white on Farewell Beach Pine, Away Maple's Green. Where is the wanderer sailing his boat tonight, who pining away on the moonlit rails would learn. Alas the moon is lingering over the tower. It should have been seen. Yeah, sorry. It should have seen the dressing table of the fair. She rolls the curtains up and lights and light comes in her bower. She washes but can't wash away the moonbeams there. She sees the moon, but her beloved is out of sight. She'd follow it to shine on her her beloved one's face. But message-bearing swans can't fly out of moonlight, nor can letter-sending fish leap out of their place beneath beneath the waves. Last night he dreamed that falling flowers would not stay. Alas, he cannot go home, although half-spring has gone. The running water-bearing spring will pass away. The moon declining over the pool will sink anon. The moon declining sinks into a heavy mist. It's a long way between southern rivers and eastern seas. How many can go home by moonlight who are missed? The sinking moon sheds yearning over riverside trees. That's that. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah yeah it's it's written by this one uh, poet of the Tang Dynasty in China oh wow so it's uh, is it translated then It's translated yeah wow it, it translates surprisingly well yeah it was written by Zhang Ruo um, and the fundamental idea that was it was actually made to be a song um, accompanied by the Zhang, a traditional Chinese instrument oh. You know? Yeah. And I remember very vividly uh, the. I, I'd ended up discovering sort of Gujang and um, that music through, um, I think, Alan Watts. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'd been writing some poetry of my own. And I, I, I've discovered that poem, considering it was written for as a song. And it just captured my imagination. And I knew with poetry, this is what I should be doing. Nice. Right. So. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. That was this some is... of uh, Nick's choice of poetry. Yeah. Maybe maybe next time I'll read you some or something. Yes. Neruda, Frost. Uh, maybe some Dante. Or some of my own stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. All right. Well, it was good to talk to you, Nick. It was really good to talk to you. Yeah. And I'll talk to you later. I'll talk to you later. See ya.